glorious day that will be. And yes, we do want to sing hallelujah. So thanks for singing with us and worshiping in song. Uh, We are now going to switch gears a little bit. And uh, all of the songs have prepared us now to receive the word of God as we open it together. Let me do just remind you of a few other things I want you to be praying about uh, in the week ahead. Uh, We've been missing the Severson family. Uh, They were on vacation for several weeks um, and now they're home. And guess what? They've got sickness in their house, okay? Um, a hand, foot, and mouth disease. Um, Finley got it first, and he was so kind to share it with Chloe, uh, who has since uh, shared it with um, Lauren. We think kind of she was starting to have symptoms uh, earlier in the week, and we don't know who else has it now. Um, but, you know, in a family that size, it just kind of goes through and then sometimes goes through again. So uh, let's pray for the Severson family. You know, we know that we miss them um, and they miss being with us. They, they really want to be here at the Singspiration tonight. Uh, I don't know if they'll make it. Uh, but anyway, keep them in your prayers. Another one that we haven't seen in quite a while, Faithful Online, is Meredith and her family. Um, you, you know, she's struggling. In fact, I saw a post on Facebook this week that says she might have to uh, change jobs. Uh, to because she can't find anybody to take care of Susie, um, and, and that's quite a chore taking care of Susie, um, but she's, she's really been diligent in trying to find somebody. You know, obviously, uh, her I think it was her cousin was taking care of her, and then she had, um, had to have some uh, significant heart surgery. So um, pray for Meredith and, and her family as they try to figure out the best way to care for Susie. And then, of course, uh, Wanda, we're continuing to pray for Wanda and her struggles with uh, the Parkinson's. Um, Mike, any any update there for Wanda? Right, don't know when it's going to happen, and they've tried different things to regulate it, and none of that's been successful. Uh, so let's just continue to pray for Wanda as she battles with uh, the Parkinson's and then the, the ramifications of the Parkinson's as well. All right, uh, thank you for remembering. Thank you for being a praying church. You know, that's so important. We send out prayer requests, and I always get a response back from many of you. I can tell, I mean, I know who's going to respond. Sometimes I'm surprised and get uh, responses from others, but I always, there's a certain number of people that always say, yep, we're praying, got it covered, whatever. So thank you for praying for the needs as they arise within our church family. And don't forget to praise God for his goodness to our church family as well. We, I remind you, in our, in our personal life, uh, it's good to pray. And when we pray, it's good to praise God in our prayer time, not just ask him for all of the things that we need and other people need, but to praise him. So thank him for his goodness to our church family as you have opportunity when you go before the throne as well. All right, we're going to jump into God's Word now this morning. Uh, We're back in Acts, Acts chapter 18 again, and we're moving forward in this study in the book of Acts. And at first glance here in chapter 18, that's where we're going to be this morning, you might read that through and you say, well, there's nothing really special in that chapter, Pastor. Why didn't you just skip over that one and move on to the next one? Well, actually what we see here in Acts chapter 18 is simply faithfulness. Okay, uh, God, in fact, you know, there's an Old Testament verse that says, uh, uh, moreover of a, re- a steward is required that a man be found faithful. 
God wants us to be faithful. And not just uh, people who are in leadership be faithful, but he wants all of his children, all those who follow him, to be faithful. To be faithful in ministry, to be faithful in service, to be faithful in your relationship with him. You know, that's one of the things that we look at. Um, We're working through our way through the book of Judges on Sunday nights. We're looking at the different judges. And, and, you know, the cycle goes over and over and over again. Uh, They they did evil what was in in the sight of the Lord and they worshipped and followed the Baals and the Astras and all those things and God sold them into bondage sometimes in the land, sometimes out of the land that was a consequence of sinfulness of rebelling against God of not, of not being obedient to the call of God in your life basically they lacked faithfulness Okay, And so what we see here in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18 is God calling us to be faithful There are no incredible miracles here in Acts chapter 18. There's no um, amazing messages really that Paul preaches here in the book of Acts. But there is a a statement of Paul's life and those who are with him of just being faithful. We see God's hand of protection over Paul in the ministry. We see that he gives Paul the strength and the encouragement that he needs to continue on, to carry on for the Lord and serving the Lord. And, And if we're honest, don't we all need that from time to time? We all need to be encouraged to do what God asks us to do. We all need to be encouraged to be faithful in the ministry. You know, it doesn't matter what your ministry is here at Calvary Baptist Church. And you might be thinking, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about because I don't have a ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church. Well, if you don't have one, you need to get one, okay? And, and there's lots of areas that you can step in and say, I'd love to help. I'd love to be part of that. And here's another thing. We've said this many, many times. If there's a ministry that God lays upon your heart that we're not doing here at Calvary Baptist Church at the moment, come to us and share that with us. Um, I, I'm, I'm very much a fan of people being involved in ministry but I, I, I get a little uncertain when people say, it's my ministry, this is my ministry, and it's not connected to the local church. God is working through the local church today. This is the avenue through which he ministers. So if you have a ministry, let's tie it into the local church, and let's do what God called us to do and make a difference where he's placed us. And so we see Paul being faithful, needing some encouragement from time to time. And as we work our way through most of this chapter, we're going to see uh, three C's in ministry. That's what I've entitled the message, the C's of ministry. And, And it helps us understand a little bit better how ministry moves forward as we see God's faithfulness to his faithful servants. So we're in Acts chapter 18 this morning, um, and let's begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and again, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the pages of Scripture. Um, Your word is alive, it is powerful, um, and even the sections of Scripture that kind of seem a little commonplace, a little less exciting than some of the other ones. We know, Father, that you are faithful and there's something there in the pages of Scripture that we can learn from. So we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit might help us today as we open your word, as we study from Acts chapter 18. We might see and we might be encouraged from the pages of Scripture that we see Paul working through 
through here in his life as he is faithful in ministry, as he travels from one town to another, serving and serving and serving. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to have that same desire, that same passion that Paul had to be servants of the Most High God and to communicate to others the, the great things that Christ is able to do in an individual's life. We ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're not going to read a passage of Scripture per se together today, um, but I'm going to read some passages as we, uh, as we get to these different points in our sermon. Um, so this morning we're going to start, first eight verses of the chapter, we see Paul's cooperation in Corinth. What is Paul doing in Corinth? Well, you know that Paul went to Corinth and he, he helped uh, get a church started there. And so he was faithful in that regard. And you know, when you go to a church and you're involved in a church, if, especially if you're starting a church in a particular area, you build up relationships with people and it's hard to leave those places and say, okay, it's time to go someplace else. So we see Paul is going to hang around in Corinth just for a little bit as he works and helps that church grow in their walk with the Lord. So let me read just the first eight verses here. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens. Remember last week we talked about Paul standing on Mars Hill. You men of Athens, you are in too many ways too superstitious. And he began to preach to them the Christ, the church true God, the living God. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by them, compelled by the Spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But then they opposed him and blasphemed. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own hands. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who, who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord and with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Again, we see some incredible things going on here. Paul is a man who is on fire for the Lord, and he wants to see great things accomplished uh, in the places God uses him to serve. So what do we see, first of all, here in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 8? First of all, we see that Paul laid a foundation of friendship. Okay, friendship is so important, uh, whether it's in ministry or whether it's in life. And Paul knew that he had to have friends. Uh, when you move to a new area, a different place where you've never been before, uh, one of the, the hardest things to do sometimes is to make new friends. And, and you don't want to have just acquaintances. That's okay to have just kind of surface relationships with some people. But you need to have people that you can really um, interact with, you can really have a relationship with, uh, because those kinds of people, and can I encourage you this, those people should be believers. Those people should know Jesus as their Savior. And, and here's another thought. You could meet some of those surface acquaintances, some people that you might start to work with or that you have as neighbors, uh, and as you share the gospel with them, God could use them to be those 
tight-knit, close friends that help you in your walk with the Lord. And that's why friendship is so important. God didn't make us as people to be loners, okay? He made us for companionship. And through those companionships, through those friendships, so many things can happen for the cause of Christ. We can work, the, work together. We can serve the Lord together um, Again, we had uh, when when we went to South Africa the first time, I went alone and met some really some really incredible people. And then we got married and we went back, and there were people when we got there waiting for us because because I had built some friendships there, and we want to meet your wife and all this kind of stuff. And we were only there for a short time, and we had the opportunity to build into some lives while we were there. And then we went back for a full term, uh, full time stint there for we spent sixteen years there. We had people waiting at the airport for us, and one family said, we can't come to the airport because we got to do stuff at church, um, but we want to get together as soon as we can. So we had the opportunity to build relationships and friendships, and those people were key because, you know, we were new to the area, right? We, we didn't really have an idea of what South African life was all about. So when something would come up, I would get on the phone, or I would go visit Carlos, or I would go visit Barry, and I would say, or Charlie, as we got to know Charlie and Judy, I would call them up and say, hey, I don't understand this. How do we navigate this cultural thing? It wasn't a sinful thing. It was just a different culture. I mean, I grew up in northern New York, a town of Messina, a very small town. We moved to a city of half a million people. Wow! That's different. And not only was it such a big city, but we're now in another country. Not just a different city in America, not just a different state. We're in a different country. They do things differently. And our goal as church planners was to plant a South African church in South Africa. Not to just make an American church in South Africa. They don't need American churches in South Africa because they're not Americans. They needed a South African church, so you needed to navigate the culture and the customs and all. We didn't know those things. And as Paul went from one city uh, in in maybe Macedonia to a city in, in another part of the world at that time, he traveled all over the known world at the time and different cultures and different customs. So he, he teams up with a couple of people here um, and, and he had a friendship. These guys helped him in ministry. What were their names? Well, you know them, Priscilla and his wife Aquila, a couple of Jews who God had moved around. And you know why they moved, right? They moved from one place to another because of persecution. And they got stuck in, they had jobs, and they were able to incorporate Paul into that position and help him work on things outside of ministry, but then they helped him in the ministry. They worked in the same trade. They were tent makers, okay? Um, and Paul, you know, in those days, you needed tents, Okay, Micah has been uh, calling us and asking us, well, previous to his, uh, um, his looks like he's going to become a law enforcement officer, but previous to that, he would call me up and he'd say, Dad, what kind of job should I get that even if the economy goes bad, people are still going to need that kind of work? I said, well, you know what? People always need to go to the bathroom. So plumbing is a good, is a good field. You can get in the field of plumbing. Yeah, okay. And I said, well, maybe you want to get into new construction plumbing because it's kind of cleaner, you know. Um, or, or electricity, right? Everybody always needs electricity. So an electrician is a good job. And here's another one, a mechanic. You, you know, no matter how bad the economy is going to get, people are going to have cars. And, and the worse the economy is, they're going to keep their cars longer. So the cars are going to need to be fixed. So maybe a job is a mechanic, well, it turns out he wants to be in law enforcement. So, I mean, there's always a need for law enforcement, unfortunately, right? Okay? But, you see, 
working with your hands is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And Paul was somebody who worked with his hands. He was a tent maker. And he, you know, you know that was something they needed in those days. And so he, would, he teamed up with Priscilla and Aquila. And as they're working, I'm sure they talked about the things of the Lord. That's a benefit. That's a blessing of working with other believers. You get to talk about the things of the Lord and encourage one another in those ways. Um, so, and the other reason he wanted to work with his hands was so that he wouldn't be a burden to the, the newly formed church plant there in Corinth. You see, when we lived in South Africa, that's why we had you guys and other churches like us that supported us while we were on the field, so we weren't a burden to the plant that we were working with, the church plant that we were working with there in South Africa. We, they didn't have to worry about coming up with X numbers of rands to support us on a monthly basis. They, we got started, and, and, and it was difficult. You know, when you start a church, you're starting from nothing. You have nothing, and, and these people a lot of times don't know that they're supposed to give, so you have to teach, and, and by the time we were done, they were paying their own pastor. They were supporting missionaries. They, were, they, they had built a building, but you got to teach them that kind of stuff, and so Paul says, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to dump all this stuff on top of them. They don't need to support me. I can support myself as God provides. So he teamed up with Priscilla and Aquila and they worked and they made tents together and it, it, it was the normal thing for him. He, that's what he did. Now, I also want you to understand here that Priscilla and Aquila were fellow workers with Christ. They were fellow laborers in the gospel ministry. So it wasn't all about uh, getting a paycheck. It was about furthering the kingdom of God. It was about telling others about Jesus Christ. It was about communicating the importance of having a personal relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he found people who were of like mind with him. He teamed up with them. And, and that's why, you know, we're hosting this Singspiration tonight. But who are we inviting to come and be part of this? Churches that are of like faith. People who are of the same mind as we are. Now, there's some little things that vary from church to church, and that's to be expected. But on the doctrinal matters, we are, we are of one mind. You will agree with what Dresserville believes. You'll agree with what Cincinnatus believes doctrinally. There's some other preferences there and here and there. And, and that's not a problem. That's a good thing. But it's so, so, so important to be of the same mind doctrinally. And you know what you have to have if that's the case? A commitment to the Word of God. Because the Word of God needs to be the standard. It can't be Pastor Tim's textbook. It can't be Pastor Tom's textbook. It has to be God's Word that is the standard that keeps us moving in the right, right direction. As we look at this chapter, we see a, a pretty detailed glimpse of how uh, these guys were involved in ministry. In verse 24, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he taught, he taught well, but he only had a limited knowledge. And the, the chapter goes on and says, So he began to see, speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What is this that's going on here? Discipleship. This is discipleship that is going on. And so 
Priscilla and Aquila have taken this man, Apollos, who was saved, who had a knowledge of the word of God, who had, had, had some exposure from John the Baptist's teachings, but that was all he knew. And good for him to communicate the information that he knew. He wasn't waiting. And, and I've said to you before, you know, you don't wait until you have all the answers to, to start serving the Lord. Because if you wait till then, it'll be too late. You'll miss so many opportunities to be involved in ministry. So this guy is out there. He's doing what he knows he should do. He's communicating truth. He's communicating the love of God. And, and Priscilla and Aquila, they hear him. They say, hey, you know what? This guy, we can help him. So they took him under their wings, so to speak. And I love the way it says it. They explained the way of God more accurately to him, more fully, more completely. So he was working on a particular amount of revelation, right? And, and he used that revelation that he had, but now... Priscilla and Aquila are going to give him more revelation so he can be more effective. He can teach better. You know, that's why we train. That's why we encourage people to come and be part of all of those opportunities that you have to learn from God's word together, whether it's Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday nights or our men's prayer times together. You take more advantage of the opportunities that we have to be together. You learn, you grow, and then that enhances your own personal study as well. So that's all part of this idea of friendship, having a foundation of friendship, laying that foundation and being what God wants us to be. So he was laying that foundation and then he moved on and, and here's another section here. He fearlessly dialogued in the synagogue. Okay, he, he taught in the synagogues. He wasn't intimidated, this is back to Paul now, was not intimidated by the people in the synagogue. It says here he reasoned in the synagogue with them every Saturday. That idea of reasoning in the synagogue is he, he communicated truth to them. Remember we said that Paul was a very logical individual. He loved to dialogue and maybe we could even use the word debate. Okay, a good debate is a good thing. Okay, um, and, and usually, what's your purpose in a debate? Anybody ever been on a debate team? What's the purpose of debating? The purpose of debating is to persuade not just the audience that you're, that's watching the debate, but to persuade the person you're debating against. And so Paul is in the synagogues, and he's reasoning with these people every Saturday. What are they reasoning? What are they debating? What are they dialoguing about? The scriptures, okay? Paul wants these people in the synagogue who must be Jews, otherwise they couldn't be in the synagogue, right? So they're in the synagogue. They're Jewish people who believe what they've been taught all their lives by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, the, some of the same religious leaders of Jesus' time who rejected Jesus as the Messiah, who said that he wasn't God's son. He's not the answer to the problems of the world. Paul is persuading them that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the only way for you to have your problems solved when you turn your life and your heart over to this man, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He persuaded with them. And then it says here in the text, both Jews and Greeks were persuaded. I love that word. 
Paul uses that word. He says, for I am persuaded in Romans chapter 8, neither height nor depth nor life nor death nor anything present shall separate me from the love of God. I am persuaded. You know what that means? I am absolutely 100% convinced about this thing. And what is it? Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to the Heavenly Father. It goes through his son. This was something that Paul enjoyed doing, reasoning in the synagogues. If we study through the book of Acts, we would see, and that's what we're doing, obviously, we will see again and again that Paul did it regularly. Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 24. You hear that phrase again and again. Paul reasoned in the synagogue. He disputed, if you will, that's another translation of that word, um, it means disputed, it means reason, it even means preached. So whatever was called for at the time, Paul did it. He disputed sometimes. Sometimes he said, hey, think about this for a moment, will you? Just, just think it through. Let's, let's think through this logically. Or sometimes he preached, you men of Athens, and too many things you are superstitious. He preached the word of God. He preached truth. And, and what he was, his goal was to convince someone to abandon what they once believed, that which was false, that which was not true, and begin to adopt a new line of thinking, and that's the scriptures. That's the Jesus is the Messiah. I told you last week that Paul was this logical man and was, was very good at deba- debating and that he was the prized student of Gamaliel. Paul was a very learned man and could match wits with anyone in the synagogues on the day. And God used him to persuade individuals to trust Jesus. We see that Paul was successful as well because the text says that both Jews and Greeks were won over. They were persuaded. They began to think properly. They began to think from biblical perspective. I think Peter agreed with Paul in this way of ministry. It's evident from what he said in his first letter over in chapter 3. We've, we've looked at this verse not too long ago where P- Peter wrote this in verse 15 of chapter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks of you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's what Paul was doing. He was ready always to give an answer. And, and you know, the, you see the qualifiers there with meekness and fear. I, I've said this before also that, you know, we have an offensive message. The gospel is an offensive message. I mean, when you start a conversation off with somebody and you tell them that they're sinners, <laughs> you know how that goes, Right? And so the message is offensive, but we don't have to be offensive in the way that we deliver it, okay? With meekness and with fear. And that doesn't mean afraid to open your mouth and speak the truth. That means with awe and reverence of the message that we're communicating. We also see that Paul and his team ferociously, or those, not Paul and his team, but those who were hearing, some of them, ferociously opposed Paul and his teaching. He says they opposed him, and not only did they oppose him, but do you see the next word? They blasphemed they blasphemed and what does that mean they spoke against the things of God even though they were in the synagogue which was what the house of God 
Okay, they, when Paul spoke the things of the word of God to them, they opposed him, and because they opposed him, they opposed the things of God, the, the, the very things of God, they blasphemed God. This is an important passage because we see that Paul had done his part. Paul preached truth, and Paul brought them to a point where they heard the truth, they knew the truth, they understood the truth, and they had to respond to the truth. And their response was what? One of rejection. One of, no, 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 I don't want that. That's not what I believe. Have you ever been there? Have you ever communicated truth to somebody and shared it in a loving way, in a compassionate way, and in a passionate way? And, and at the end of your sharing with them, that, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not for me. I'm not a church person. You knock, you, you knock on door, you knock on the door and say, I'm here to share the gospel. Ah, I'm a, I'm a whatever they are, whatever religion they happen to be uh, subscribing to at that point in time. I used to tell, I used to knock on doors and I used to get this, I'm a Catholic. And I tell them, I'm from Calvary Baptist Church or whatever. Oh, I'm a, I, don't, I don't need it, I'm a Catholic. So my response was, well, that's okay, so am I. What? Yeah, because Catholic only means churchgoer. Okay? That's all the word Catholic means. When you put the, the, the adjective, is that the right word? The adjective Roman in front of it, that changes things totally. Roman Catholic, that means you subscribe or ascribe to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. I'm a Catholic, you're a Catholic, because Catholic just means somebody who goes to church. And I'm a follower of the one true God, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, and I want to share that news with you. I want to communicate the gospel with you, or to you. Kind of opens the doors now and then. Okay? So we want to do the we want to present the gospel in a way that is not confrontational if we can. Sometimes that's what it is, and, and we can't change it. But if we have the opportunity to share truth with them in a loving way, that's what you and I want to do. So we want to communicate as God has enabled us to communicate, even when we are ferociously opposed. The fact that they went to blasphemy, these individuals who are hearing, some of them, they went straight to blasphemy. And you know what Paul did? Paul said, okay, if that's what you want, he shook off his garments. And in other words, he was saying, your eternal destiny is in your own hands. You've rejected the truth, you've heard it, you know what you need to do, and now you're speaking against the very one who sent his son to die in your place, to pay for your sins. If that's the way you're going to be, I'm done with you. I've, I've done my part. In fact, the, he verbally communicated to them that he was free of any guilt before them. They're going to stand before God someday, and they will have to pay the consequences for rejecting the truth that Paul had presented to them. And then we see that Paul turns his attention to the Gentiles in Corinth. Remember what Paul was called to do? He was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But because he had such a burden and such a love for the people of Israel, he always went to the synagogue first. But here he turns now from the synagogue and he goes to the Gentiles. And you know what he saw happen in the Gentiles, among the Gentiles? He saw a great work happen. He saw God convert people to Jesus Christ. He saw individuals come to know the Savior. There was a guy by the name of Justice. He was a Gentile, probably a lot like Cornelius um, and probably a lot like Lydia. People who had a respect for the God of Israel but did not know how to respond to, in faith to him. And God 
allowed Paul to cross his path and communicate truth with him and allowed him to come to know Jesus as his personal Savior. God will always give the needed revelation to his servants who are willing to communicate truth if they are just willing to open up their mouth and speak from God's perspective. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a job to do. That's why you and I know the scriptures. We study the scriptures. We memorize the scriptures. Because we want to have something in our mind that God can pull to remembrance. The Holy Spirit can bring to our mind so that we'll be able to speak truth to individuals. I do not ascribe to buying lottery tickets, okay? But I was listening to the radio one day and this guy was, uh, he shared a little joke about, this guy kept praying, God, you know, it's, lottery was at a record winning per, winning point and he's God I bought God help me win the lottery God would you let me win the lottery today God I need this money can you please let me win the lottery and I also don't believe that God speaks to us out of heaven but but the guy in the radio says would you at least buy a ticket you can't pray and ask God to use you if you haven't filled up the tank Okay? If you have not been studying God's word, you don't know God's word, you've not hidden it in your heart, it's hard to ask God to use you to share his word with others if you don't know it. Paul was communicating truth from the pages of scriptures and justice came to know Jesus as his savior. That was the revelation. Paul had stuff in his mind because he had studied the word. I mean, he'd written the word, okay, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But he had at his disposal the things of God in his mind. You and I must do the same. We must have at our disposal the word of God. We must be reading it, studying it, memorizing it. So he has the tool, So we have the tools that God can use, the Holy Spirit can use in our lives as he opens doors for us. There's also this guy named Crispus. This is, a, this is a, if you will, a feather in the cap of the Apostle Paul. Who was Crispus? Crispus was the leader of the synagogue. Okay, Most likely one of the ones who opposed Paul in his preaching and teaching. But Crispus came to, see, came to know Christ as his Savior. What an amazing turn of events from one who was opposed to the things of God, to the things of Christ. He heard the truth from the Apostle Paul and those who were with him, and Crispus repented and trusted Christ as his Savior. Paul continued to preach the message of the cross, and the Lord brought Crispus to himself. Paul didn't save Crispus. The Lord saved Crispus through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And you see, when Crispus believed, you know what that happened? You know what that caused to happen? Many others also believed. And there was an awakening, if you will. There was like a revival in the city of Corinth because this man came to know the Lord as his Savior. No doubt, once Crispus got saved, he started telling others about what happened to him. He began to share his story of how he came to know Christ as his Savior. Now, I said it was a feather in his cap, right? So at this point, Paul might be thinking, uh, I've been here before. I've seen great men come to know Christ as their Savior. And every time the Lord does something like this, I find myself in a bit of hot water. What's going to happen next? Well, the Jews got all worked up. They got all bent out of shape, like the Jews do in lots of other places where Paul had been. And so they came after Paul. And you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to kill him. 
But as we carry on, we see that God calms Paul's heart and he assures him of his care. It's okay, Paul, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. So in verses 9 through 17, we see Paul's confidence in Christ. It's not in himself. It's not in his circumstances. It's not in those who've got his back here on earth. But his confidence is in Christ. And first of all, we see uh, the Lord's words to the Apostle Paul. The Lord says, do not be afraid. Speak and do not keep silent. Don't be afraid. Speak the truth. Keep teaching the truth. Keep preaching the truth. Paul must have been a little bit concerned here with what he was saying. Otherwise, the Lord would not have told him, don't be afraid. God doesn't waste his words. Paul must have been fearful to some degree in this, in this setting. And you can understand why, right? God says, don't be afraid. Just keep speaking the truth. Perhaps he could sense the fact that the Jews were getting fed up with him. Maybe he had, had heard it through the grapevine that somebody was going to try and take him out. Uh, there was trouble brewing among the Jews. So these words from the Lord came at just the right time for the Apostle Paul. Don't fear, speak the truth. That's good advice. Don't fear, speak the truth. He also said, I am with you. And we get an understanding that Paul knows something's up because the next phrase from the Lord is, and no one will attack you to hurt you. Wow. Paul now has the, I'm going to, I give it to him. No matter what, I can, I can just speak out and let God do his work. Can you imagine just how thrilled Paul must have been when he heard this promise from the Lord? He could pull out all the stops. He could really preach with all of his heart, knowing that nothing was going to happen to him. The Lord was going to keep him safe. Now, can I tell you this? That's not always the case. Sometimes the Lord lets something happen to his servants. Paul knew it, right? I mean, you read about his you know, being beaten and stoned and left for dead. We have heard stories about people who have been martyred for the cause of Christ. God does not always promise that you will be kept physically safe. But the real blessing is we know that spiritually we will spend eternity in heaven no matter what happens to our physical body. But this one occasion, Paul was, said, you can, Paul was told, you can let them have it and they're not going to hurt you. And then God gives his reason for this. He says, for I have many people in this city. The Lord still had work for Paul to do in the city of Corinth. So he's going to make sure that Paul had the freedom and the safety to speak all that God had laid upon his heart. I remember the year that I went to South Africa the first time. They were still under the apartheid rule and things were kind of you know, iffy over there. Um, especially if you were a, a white individual. Okay, there was, there was, you know, you, you've heard about the necklacings and you've heard about all of the stuff that was going on. Um, and I was going to South Africa that summer no matter what, didn't matter, I was going. But there, was, uh, there were three other ladies in, our, in, our, in my class that were thinking about going to uh, South Africa and their parents were like, eh, I don't know if that's the best place for you to go. Can't you go someplace else and serve? And then we had a guy from South Africa come and speak in, um, I think it was in our missions conference. And, and I sat in on the conversation that he was having, and, and the girls expressed this concern. And, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, if you are in the will of God, you'll be in the safest place you can ever be. 
If you're not in the will of God, it doesn't matter where you are, some of the worst things could happen to you. But if you're in the will of God, you will be in the safest place you can ever be. You just tell your parents that. They ended up going. They had a great time. They weren't where we were. They were up in the Durban area. We were, I was down in Cape Town. But you know what? That's true. And, and if God has called you to do something, even if it's in a very dangerous spot, it's like you're invincible until you accomplish what he has appointed for you to do in that spot and at that time. Now, don't go jumping off buildings or anything stupid like that because God never told you to do that, by the way, all right? But if you are in the will of God, you're in the safest place you can ever be. That's where Paul was. He was in the will of God, and, and he did not have to worry about what would happen to him. The Lord still had so much for him to do in Corinth. Paul preached away, and many believed and were saved. Not only did Paul see the Lord's words, but we also see in the text the Lord's work. Finally, the Jews had enough of Paul, okay? And they wanted to stop him. They united together. They brought, they brought Paul before the proconsul. Remember, the Lord had made a promise to Paul, and when the Lord makes a promise, what does he do? He keeps it, okay? So, Paul's now been taken into custody, if you will. He's been brought before the proconsul. But you know what? He's confident that God's going to keep his promise. The Jews have a charge. They charged Paul with persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. That's the Jewish people who accused Paul of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, it wasn't contrary to the law of God. It was contrary to their made-up laws. They could not go back to the Pentateuch and find any place where Paul was in violation of the law. But what they said is, he's violation of our law. We don't, we don't like what he's doing. We've made these laws. He's breaking these laws. And Paul was about to defend himself, as was, you know, he was accustomed to doing that. He had the ability to do that. And when the proconsul spoke to the Jews, he was not interested in listening to their disputes. He didn't want to hear what they had made up in their laws to charge Paul with. He was going to make his decision based on the truth. And you know what happened? The proconsul dismissed the case. Not only did he dismiss the case, but if we continue in the text, we see that he drove away the accusers from his court. Out of here! I want nothing to do with you, you false accusers. Go away! God's hand. Paul knew it. Paul saw it. So did others. Paul was in the hand of God, and there is no better place to be than in the hand of God. Well, Paul's going to finish up here. We see in verses 18 through 23, Paul's completion. What does Paul do? He, he stays in Corinth for a good while. He hangs on there. Now, um, he remained there. And remember the Lord had many in Corinth that he was going to bring to himself. So Paul stayed there and was used by God to continue the ministry. Paul had to stay until the Lord was ready to move him on. And you know when God's ready to move you on. We, we knew that when we were in South Africa. We, we just, in our hearts, we knew that God was finished with us there. 
God had brought up several things. And then the last straw that kind of broke the camel's back from a human perspective is when I went to the home affairs office, I had all my paperwork filled out to extend our, our work permits, and I presented it to them, and they said, okay, you also need this. That was, that was a common thing. You never, home affairs is never a one-trip thing. Okay? You went, and even if you had everything you had last time, I think the guy had something underneath his counter. He says, oh, he's got all of that? Ask for this or ask for that. Okay? Kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes you, I got to say the DMV is much better, but it's kind of like going to the DMV. Oh, you got all that? Uh, you need this too. So I was at Home Affairs. I turned in all my paperwork, and, and then a couple days later, I get a phone call from the Home Affairs office. Is this Reverend Mowers? Yes, it is. Um, we're working on your work permit application. Uh, you need to make a $10,000 deposit in a South African bank account. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, we need, we need $10,000 to approve your work permit. Like, where am I going to get $10,000? Oh, you're an American. You must have $10,000. I said, I don't have $10,000. I, there's no way. Why, why can't you just do what you've been doing for the last 16 years and approve our work permits? No, 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 we need that money because we have to be able to repatriate you. In other words, send you back to America if you do something you're not supposed to do in South Africa. I said, no, we've always just given you a letter from our mission guaranteeing that the funds are there to buy our plane tickets and take us back to America if need be. No, nope, no, nope, that's not good enough. We need the $10,000 in a South African bank account. I said, I don't have it. Well, get it from your mission. You realize we have like 100 missionaries, and if we had to have $10,000 for every one of those 100 missionaries, you know how much money that is? Our mission doesn't have that kind of money either. They have in our account enough money for us if we need to come back to America to buy our tickets. That's, all we, that's a guarantee. Well, well, that's not good enough. I said, well, I don't have $10,000, so what are you going to do? Well, we'll give you one more year, and that's it. Well, okay, God. I guess that's you confirming for us where you want us or where you don't want us to be, okay? Now, if God wanted us to be there, excuse me, to remain there, he could have switched, he could have changed things, he could have changed the mind, because believe me, that wasn't, talk about laws, like the Pharisees had their own set of laws, that was not a law in South Africa, that you had to have $10,000 to put into a South African bank account. I told him, I said, listen, even if my mission had $10,000, they wouldn't be putting it in a South African bank account. No way. So anyway, we saw that as God moving us on. Okay, God is, is finished with you here in, in Cape Town, South Africa, and, and he's releasing us to go someplace else. We didn't know where, but he opened doors along the way, and eventually we're here to his honor and glory. That's our, that's our goal, to bring glory and honor to him. But Paul remained there until God moved him on. When the time was right, Paul said, okay, it's time for me to go. I'm going back to Antioch. So he went from Corinth back to Antioch to his sending church. But while he was there, and even as he traveled back to Antioch, we see this. Paul was resolute in ministry. Paul was, was steadfast. He was faithful. He, no matter what, remained faithful to the call of God in his life. Even though he knew he was on his way back to Antioch, he continued to be faithful we read in verses 18 through 23 that when he got to Ephesus on his way back to Antioch, what, is he, what do you think he did? I'll give you one guess. Where's the first place he went? 
He went to the synagogues. And what does the text say? He reasoned in the synagogues in Ephesus. Okay? He didn't stop his faithful pursuit of service to God. In this part of the text, we see a couple things that show Paul didn't quit when it came to serving the Lord. Verse 18, it says he took a vow. Most likely the same vow that Samson was under, a Nazarite vow. John the Baptist had a Nazarite vow on his life. It's the vow of, a, of an individual who is uh, dedicated to serving the Lord. And, and, and I don't know all the details about a Nazarite vow, but let me read to you from the Nelson Study Bible what it says a Nazarite vow entails. And this is what Paul did. Paul had his hair cut as part of a Nazarite vow he made. You can check it out in Numbers chapter 6. Such a vow had to be fulfilled in Jerusalem where their hair, and I didn't know this, where their hair would be presented to God. Vows were made either in gratitude for God's blessing, like Paul's safekeeping in Corinth, or as a part of a petition for future blessing. The vow involved abstinence from drinking wine and a commitment not to cut one's hair for a period of time. At the end of this set period, the hair was cut and then burned along with the other sacrifices as a symbol of offering oneself to God. Uh, chapter 21, verses 23 through 26. Paul redirected his entire travel schedule because he wanted to get to Jerusalem in time to take this vow. Wow, he was committed. He was obedient. He was a faithful servant of the Most High God. And, and then we see in the text, he went throughout the region doing what? Strengthening the disciples. What do we see? Remaining faithful. Carrying on. Doing what God asked him to do. And then he returned to Antioch and he spent some time with them there in Antioch. That's his sending church. Guess what? He was on furlough again. He went back to his sending church. And you might remember uh, a couple of weeks ago that we shared with you some things about furlough. Uh, furlough is like when we were missionaries, what we did on furlough. I'm certain that many in our church in South Africa thought we were going for a one-year holiday. That's what they call vacation over there. Because they would say as, we, as we're get, you know, walking through the thing to the airport to, to get on the plane, have a nice holiday. And we would in our minds think, if they only knew. Because you know what? Furlough includes traveling thousands and thousands of miles. Uh, there, there are times when we, we went from one week of camp to another week of camp to another week of camp. Fifteen days and three weeks of teaching and preaching sometimes twice a day. I'm not complaining. We loved it. But that's not vacation. That's not a holiday, right? We get to some churches and we spend the day with them or maybe we part of Saturday and Sunday and Sunday afternoon it wasn't uncommon for somebody to say, hey, I got to go make a hospital visit. You're going to come with me? And it wasn't like they were asking. It was like, you're coming with me?